Welcome to Kindled Podcast. I'm your host, Haley Williams, and this is the show where we talk about work, motherhood, and the grace we need for both. We are making and being made. Come join us. Hello, friends. You are listening to episode 80 of Kindled, and I'm your host, Haley Williams. The sponsor of today's episode is Jeanette Tapley and the It's Time for Your Podcast course. Today, I'm going to be chatting with Hillary Morgan Ferrer. Hillary is the founder of Mama Bear Apologetics. Hillary has a burden for providing accessible apologetics resources for busy moms. She has a master's in biology, and her specialties are scientific apologetics, dealing with doubt, and identifying causes and solutions for youth leaving the church. I learned a lot from Hillary in this conversation, and I think you're going to also. Okay, let's jump right into today's episode. So, Hillary, welcome to Kindled. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. So, why don't you start off by introducing yourself to listeners and telling us who you are and what you do? Yeah, my name is Hillary Morgan Ferrer, and I am the Mama Bear in Chief of Mama Bear Apologetics, which is both a website and now a book that is aimed at teaching moms how to defend the historic Christian faith. Uh, not only for themselves, but for their kids. We try to take concepts that might have been more academic in nature and kind of boil them down and say, how can you explain this to kids? Because mm-hmm. moms are the ones getting the questions. They're the ones getting the spiritual questions. So I think moms should be the ones answering the questions. Yeah, that's so true. Well, I want to ask you how you got into apologetics. But I guess before I do that, I should ask you to define for the listeners <laughs> what apologetics is. Absolutely. There are so many misconceptions around the word apologetics. And actually, I've started seeing people using it just in the regular secular world. And so I'm kind of getting excited that the word itself is becoming more well known. It comes from the Greek word apologia, which back then it just meant to give a defense for. In fact, the early lawyers were considered apologists, and it doesn't mean that you're argumentative necessarily or defensive necessarily, but you are giving reasons. It's just kind of like a lawyer is trying to give reasons Mm. for the conclusion that they come to. And so we are giving reasons for the hope that is within us, which is exactly what we're called to do in 1 Peter 3.15. So uh, apologetics in terms of Christian apologetics is just really giving reasons for why we believe the Christian worldview is true and that we don't have to have blind faith that the Lord provided us evidence and the Lord is, uh, he is the logos. He is, he is the God of reason. He is the God of logic Mm. and that we can use all these things to say, Hey, this worldview really does make sense. It makes the most sense out of Mm -hmm. what we observe in the world. It makes the most sense in terms of just worldview, answering the the tough questions that people have. And uh, we don't have to just rely on the Bible. Not that I'm saying that the Bible isn't sufficient, but rather there's a lot of people out there who discount the Bible and won't listen to the Bible. And so if you give them reasons from the Bible, they're just going to say, hey, you're, you're using circular reasoning. Yeah, God has just given us a way to say, hey, this is a way that we can connect with non-believers who do discount the Bible and saying, even when we're using the things that you would consider value evidence, valuable evidence and critique and reasons that we can come from that perspective as well. And so I, I think it's a way of just interacting with the world and the way God created us to interact with the world, which is, yeah, speaking to them in, in their language. Yeah, man, that's really helpful. And I guess I just want to affirm and and kind of repeat what you're saying, because 
I actually learned, I went to a a private Christian high school. And in that high school, I took a four-year worldviews course. And at the time- You lasted for four years? It is a four-year long program. Yes. Wow. Just in worldview. That's impressive. It's pretty impressive. You would not believe how thick the book was. I mean, you would not believe it. It was like probably, there was two books and they were both three inches thick. Can we give um, a shout out to that school? Where is this school? I, I know it's in, it's here in Kansas city. It's called Christ Preparatory Academy. And my parents started it. Wow. <laughs> so, funny, funny story. They started it because I was homeschooled through sixth grade. And then my mom was like, I'm over it. I don't do not want to teach you algebra. I need help. And, <laughs> and so wanting to keep some heavy involvement with the curriculum that I was being taught and all of that, they started looking for options and private school full-time was super expensive. Public school at the time just didn't seem like an option for them. And so they looked up, you know, they discovered university model schools and that's what this one was. So it's basically set up sort of like a college where you could pick and choose classes. So it was great for like people in the homeschool community who wanted support, but I ended up doing all of my classes through there. So it was like, I was on the full curriculum. Go mom. She sounds like a stud. (laughs) I, you know, I mean, parents always are the the hardest critics of themselves, but I am super grateful for that education that I got. And while it wasn't perfect and there was plenty of sin in my high school, just like every other, uh, you know, (laughs) high schoolers don't obey (sighs) and they actually sin and Yes. Even in, even the Christians, they do. Yep. It was, it it did give me like at the time, I guess what I'm getting at is like, I didn't realize how applicable what I was studying would be to me one day. Oh yeah. High schoolers never realize how good they have it. If they have something that's really amazing, (laughs) like my husband's high school, he used to teach at, he would do an apologetics conference every year that he had to put on he was the apologetics teacher. Mm-hmm. And one year we had Jay Warner Wallace come in because he was speaking at another conference nearby. And of course, I was sitting there listening to him and thinking, none of these kids realize what a treat they're having right now that they are having Jay Warner Wallace coming and speaking at their high school. You just, yeah, high schoolers never realize. I feel bad even asking this, but I don't know who that is. Really? Oh, okay. I, I need to know. That's okay. Jay Warner Wallace is one of my favorite apologists, and okay. he's actually one of the ones that kind of gave me that gentle nudge to start Mama Bear Apologetics. That's awesome. He has an amazing book out that I really, really appreciate. He's got several, but the the his first one is called Cold Case Christianity. Okay. And so he was a cold case detective for about 30 years, as was his father before him, and both of them were staunch atheists. Mm. And so he decided, well, I, I can't remember when he started reading the New Testament. I think it was probably one of those stories of this is dumb. I need to debunk this kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he started realizing that the way that the Gospels read was very similar to eyewitness testimony that he is usually, you know, his, his number one job as a cold case detective is talking with uh, witnesses and trying to determine what the truth is. And so in the book, not only does he go through his work as a detective, but then he applies that to how you can analyze the New Testament. And I I think a lot of people who really disregard a lot of the New Testament testimonies don't understand how testimonies work. And so you have this guy who spent the last 30 years who understands how eyewitnesses work and how, Mm. what kind of stories you can expect to be identical, what kind of stories you can expect to have differences 
and using the same skills that he uses as a detective. And it's, it's a real easy read. I, I adore that book, but, um, wow, that's awesome. I'm definitely going to check that out. Yes. We'll link that in the show notes too, for anyone else who wants to learn who this is, because like the high schoolers, we just don't know what is at our fingertips. (laughs) Okay. So anyways, yeah, I guess, you know, worldview, it's not just for the classroom. It's not just for, you know, us as Christians in our bubble. In fact, it's, you know, apologetics is the opposite. It's for us to be able to engage with the world, which, you know, some people may misunderstand. And and at the same time, those who don't misunderstand it might be like, that's exactly why I don't want to know about it because I don't feel equipped. I don't feel like I have a good argument. I don't know how to do this. But could you kind of speak to where you see the problem and the threat of, you know, if, if we do not do this well? Yes. And this is something my husband and I talk about at length on a regular basis is that most churches are very concerned with evangelism, which we would consider getting people into the door, into the door of the church, into Christianity. And there are people who I think misunderstand apologetics as even though it can be used as a means of evangelism. More than that, it's like it's not as much about getting people into the church as it is about keeping people in the church. It's kind of like we're only monitoring the front door. Meanwhile, the back door to the church is wide open and we have people just leaving in droves Mm -hmm. and we're not paying attention to that. And so if we're really concerned about the church body as a whole, we're not just wanting to get new people. We want to make sure that the people that are already there are not going to completely apostatize. Sounds weird. They just go through an apostasy of just a following away, kind of like we've seen with several of the Christian leaders right now. You know, we saw it happen with Joshua Harris. We saw it happen with the guy from Hillsong. Yeah. Basically listed off a whole list of things that apologists are constantly talking about Mm -hmm. and put in a a tweet saying, nobody's talking about this. Yes. And so we have people that are leaving the faith because they think nobody is talking about this. And when it comes to kids, especially the topics that we talk about in the Mama Bear Apologetics book, they are being taught bad worldview on a daily basis, and they don't know how to really spot the holes in the logic and spot, spot the flaws in the reasoning. And so basically, they start thinking, well, yeah, that sounds right. It feels right. And slowly but surely, it is eroding their faith. Mm-hmm. And so I think just the most important thing for apologetics and this this is what it what it did in my life was that it made me see that this is thing that I believe parents believe. I believe it because my church is true. I remember the aha moment that I I was like, holy cow, this is objective true. Yeah. And if someone doesn't believe something that is actually true, then they're right. not going to have any kind of strong convictions about it. And so it's going to be really hard to stand firm if you think, well, maybe it's true, maybe it's not. This is just kind of how I was raised and because I was born in America. Mm-hmm. I mean, why would someone really put their reputation on the line for something that shallow? Yeah. Yeah. And it goes back to like what you said earlier too, that although we know and believe the Bible is true and infallible and the perfect word of God, the world doesn't. And so mm-hmm. we can't just forever point to the Bible and say, look at that book, look at that book. Because I mean, it, let's just say a, a Muslim is trying to convince me of the validity of the words in the Quran. I'm going to say, I don't believe the Quran. I'm just, I don't believe it. It doesn't work. Like find another way, find another way to convince me that what you're saying is actually the way things are, because I'm not going to believe the words of some guy who I think is just some random dude. 
you know? <laughs> so, I mean, and, and that's, that's how people are looking at Christians and we need to recognize that and, and not just buck against that and say, oh, well, you know, curse the unbeliever, but like, <laughs> is there another way that we can engage in conversations that are meaningful, helpful, and actually help kind of take the roof off in a sense and expose those beliefs that they may have to reality so that the rain can come in and flood their house and they can realize that that roof was <laughs> faulty. Yeah. I want to go back to something that you just said just uh, real quick about the the Quran and some of the other religions. Well, one of the things that I, I've realized about Christianity that makes it different than every other religion, and I really mean is makes it different from every religion, is number one, Christianity is the one religion that asks us to test its claims. Mm. In Islam, it is considered blasphemy to try to test the claims and to question and to doubt and to try to work through things. You are to believe and not question, and you are not called to really examine your faith. Right. Same thing with a lot of the, basically all the other religions. None of them say test this. But secondly, Christianity is the only religion that isn't founded by just one guy with a subjective experience. If you look at right. Buddhism, if you look at, um, I don't know the history of Hinduism so much, but you look at Mormonism, you look at Islam, it's always one guy that had a subjective experience. And now he's trying to get everybody else to believe him that he had this subjective experience. Yeah. Christianity happened in the public sphere. When Jesus rose from the dead, he didn't just re reveal himself to the 12 disciples. He revealed himself to 500 people at once. He stayed around for quite a while, going around and seeing people and being like, hello, I've been raised from the dead and here I am right now. Right. And he and Christianity asks us to test this, to look at history, to look at archaeology and say, does this hold water? And I just want to say that we need to take advantage of that. If our religion, if Christianity is the only one that asks us to do that, well, shoot, we should take advantage of that because that, I think that's kind of a benefit. I think yeah. It, yeah. And, and it's, it's no accident that, you know, that it does ask us to do that because God knows better than we do that those who need the truth need more than just us to point to the Bible. They actually do need all of those other things to lead them to the reality that it's true. Yeah. And God can use all of those things and not, I'm not diminishing faith or the fact that, you know, we do have faith and there are things that, that or can the come only through faith. Yes. Yeah. It's like, right. we don't want to diminish that at all, but at the same right. time, we need to recognize that there are, this is one of those things will, that will help increase faith. Like one of the things John and I get a lot whenever we tell people, Christians specifically, that we're into apologetics and we tell them what we do is they say, well, if you knew all the answers, then why would you need faith? Hmm. Which is a really horrible definition of faith. So number one, apologetics is not about saying that you know all the answers. It's actually trying to reason through and I mean, get as many answers as you can just because, hey, having good reasons behind things is helpful. But then two, if we want to look at what is the definition of faith, we look at Hebrews 11.1 1 that says, I can't remember what version this is. There's several different versions, but along the lines of faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. So anything theoretically that helps make us more sure, more certain, that gives us more reasons to believe this increases our faith. So it's like mm -hmm. knowledge and faith are not at odds with each other. Having, I, won't, I don't want to call it proofs because basically math and logic are the only things you can have proofs on, but evidence. Evidence mm -hmm. doesn't diminish your need for faith. It actually increases your faith. Yes, that's a great point. 
so as you you were talking about people kind of leaving the back door of the church and mm-hmm. you know I've heard you talk about this on other podcasts why do you believe people are leaving the church and specifically let's talk about young adults because we're hearing a lot about the younger generations millennials and gen z and you know there was a recent just as recent as like I think it was last week what was the was it Wall Street Journal and NBC study? They did a, a nationwide poll and found that the younger generations care less about patriotism, religion, and having kids than ever before. Uh-huh. Is, you know, so those three things were measured and they were drastically down. So specifically, we're we're focusing on religion, and they just they found that like faith, God, things surrounding having any sort of religious beliefs or framework, people just don't care as much anymore. Yeah. So. You you kind of started to get at it, but could you just kind of encapsulate one more time? Why do you believe that that's happening? Well, first off, I would say why people don't care is if you read in the the postmodernism chapter in the Mama Bear book, this idea, if you don't believe that actual truth exists, then why would you care about anyone claiming that they knew the truth? <laughs> Which is basically right. all religions claim to have some sort of truth. And if you don't believe that truth can be known, then it's not going to be very important to you. But beyond that, they they did a study on millennials, and this was done by Barna. And they looked at the six reasons why youth were leaving the church. And let's see if I can remember remember them. One of them was that there wasn't a safe place for doubt. Basically, they, they weren't allowed to talk about their doubts. And in fact, Fuller Institute over in California did a study and found that just expressing doubts actually helped alleviate doubts. Now, you know, of course... We would want to go a step further and say, okay, let's not just express the doubts. Let's try to answer some of these questions. But there is something to be said for just being able to express it. Number two, and these are in no particular order, is the perceived battle between science and faith. Mm-hmm. And we, we kind of address that in the naturalism chapter. I think it's chapter six in the book that, yeah, there's just this perceived hostility between the two. And so a lot of kids feel really torn between, well, do I believe science or do I believe what some people tell me the Bible necessarily says about things. I find personally, and and I'm a former science teacher, Hmm. uh, I think it's really confusing for kids to give a whole different set of facts to say, no, these are the facts that support the Bible that are completely different from what contemporary science is saying. And even if those facts are true, I find it to be more helpful to actually go onto the enemy territory, find the facts that they're claiming are true and show how even their facts point to a Christian worldview. It's taking the stuff that that they would already agree with and showing how that actually is compatible with a Christian worldview. And I think that that helps you instead of having it this us versus them mentality, it's you're, you're again, going on their turf and showing how even their best science is kind of supporting what the Bible already said. Yeah. So that uh, so hostile to doubt, uh, hostile to science, the exclusivity. And this is a big one that I think we're going to be seeing in uh, not only millennials, but this is a big one for Gen Z's is the exclusive nature of Christianity, because, you know, we're all about tolerance. We're all about inclusion. And that's become basically an idol yeah. in our society. And and what we don't realize, and in fact, I wrote a blog on this just last week about the idea of meaningless messages, where it was this band that was talking about, oh, we went, we need to have unity and love. And I thought, unity around what? Right. And in why? Order to, yeah. In order to have unity with something, you have to have division from its opposite. 
And so having unity requires division because I can't say I'm, you know, even I can't even say I'm unified around love unless I'm divided from hate. I can't say I'm unified around Christianity as being the only way unless I'm divided from all other religions that say that they're the way. Unity means you have to have division. Mm -hmm. But what we have right now is a society that says basically everybody needs to accept everything that everybody says is equally true which we address in the pluralism chapter in the book. But what this really comes down to is nobody's allowed to have any convictions whatsoever. The only way to have this like blind unity with everybody is to have no convictions. And that's kind of what we see happening. And it's false unity because really what you have when everybody is right and there's no basis for objective standard universal truth is you just have a bunch of people who believe completely opposing things all in the same room, pretending to like each other, but really having like no basis for commonality, no basis for relationship, no basis for understanding because we're, we're, it's like, we're all just putting our fingers in our ears and saying, la, 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 you know, as though that is somehow what unity is. And it's just craziness, but I, that is the only option we are left with when we don't have objective truth and, and moral relativism. And when we just say, you know, everyone goes, everyone's included, everyone get a gold star and, Uh you know, and we, and we don't, and we refuse to acknowledge that there actually is a wrong and a right. Yeah. Are you a female entrepreneur with a small or budding business? Would you describe your online presence as eh, lackluster at best? Well, girl, you're in luck because you're who I work with and making people shine online is what I do. This podcast is my passion, but in my day-to-day work, I am actually a web and graphic designer. I specialize in working with small businesses run by female entrepreneurs. Why? Because I am one of you. So I just get you. I get how you want to show up online as stellar and amazing as you do in person already. You want a system for growing your email list, converting traffic into customers. And most of all, you just want someone you can trust to execute all of that without a million redos or false starts. I know how hard it is to trust someone with your brand that feels kind of like one of your own children. But if you want to chat about your business's website or digital presence, I'm your girl. Email me at Haley at kindledpodcast.com or check out my web design website at hwilliamscreative.com. So why is this important for us today? I think we we're, we're hitting the nail on the head already, but why is this important for us? And especially for moms, because I would imagine some of the women listening are like, this just sounds like a lot of work. Like, how can I wrap my head around all of the craziness? Like, yeah, I know there's a lot of craziness in the world. I just don't know how I would even begin to go about separating it out and, and really recognizing the truth from the lie, the good and the bad. Yeah. Well, I think that that is actually not to not to be like overly promotional here, but I really think that's where our book kind of stands really different from a lot of the apologetics books out there. Many of the apologetics books out there really are just based on uh, kind of evidential apologetics, talking about what's the evidence, and it sort of becomes this long list of facts that you need to memorize. And I think that women and especially moms already feel so overwhelmed with everything yeah. that they need to do that just trying to memorize more facts, it's like, there's, they're like, there's no way I'm going to remember all this. Yeah. I like the analogy that my husband gives for this book, that this book is like a label maker in the sense of we have all these boxes of different worldviews that moms have already noticed. They have already said, mm, something's wrong with that, but I don't have the words 
yeah. to discuss it. And so instead of providing a bunch of new information, I mean, there's some new information in there, but instead of just having like this list of things that they need to memorize, it's basically taking the stuff that they have already noticed and teaching them how to talk about it. And I cannot tell you the number of women who have contacted me and said, yes, yes, I've noticed all this, but I haven't had the words to discuss it. And I think one of, one of the reviews on Amazon even said, this book took my thoughts and put them into words in a way that I haven't been able to do. Mm, yeah. And so I think that this is a really non-intimidating book because it's not asking you to look at things that you've never looked at. It's, it's, it's taking you through stuff that you've already seen and teaching you how to talk about it and how to talk about it with your kids. So I would say anyone who feels intimidated by apologetics, I think this is a great place to start the Mama Bear Apologetics book. Yeah, that's awesome. I I would totally agree. Um, And I have no problem with you being promotional because that's, it is what you've been working on really hard. And it's, it's super helpful how it's laid out because maybe you could walk us through that. So you do, you do address some of these kind of pervasive cultural ideas and Mm -hmm. you put them into those buckets, as you said. So do you want to run through some, like a few of what those are and then kind of tell us what your approach is to helping people understand and then unpack those with their kids? Yeah. So I would say if we wanted to look at what the kind of thesis of the book of how we're doing the book, that would be chapter three, the discerning mama bear, the refined art of chew and spit. And basically this is talking about what is discernment because a lot of times people think of discernment as just pointing out everything that's wrong in the world. And I think that that, uh, I think I say in the book, that makes us less of the aroma of Christ and more a stench of self-righteousness. It's like, it's the party of no, it's the one that just wants to, it's the food critic, the one that doesn't want to create anything, but just tears down everything that mm-hmm. everybody else does. And, and we don't want to do that. And so discernment requires, I have kind of these steps that you need to recognize the good, recognize the bad, accept the good and reject the bad. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what we try to do with every single one of these uh, isms that we go through. So we use something called the roar method. And people, if they've seen our, our hashtag roar like a mother, it's based on this roar method, which stands for our recognize the message. And that's basically taking kind of summarizing what is the actual message that's coming out. It's like people can talk all around it, but let's put this in really concrete terms. What is it that this worldview is actually saying? So recognize the message. And then the O stands for offer discernment. And the important part of offering discernment, in fact, I think the most important part of offering discernment is what I just mentioned, acknowledging the good and acknowledging the bad, accepting the good and rejecting the bad. Basically, every single one of these lies is wrapped in partial truths. Unless Mm -hmm. we recognize these partial truths People are going to say, well, they're not objective. They're, they're, they just, they're naysayers. They, they just you know, poo-poo everything. We need to recognize the good that is being intended because a lot of times the lies are starting out with a legitimate critique yeah. of maybe something within uh, evangelical Christianity. And we need to acknowledge that critique and be humble enough to be like, yeah, you're right. We've kind of missed out mm-hmm. and we have not done that well. However, what happens is that the world takes that legitimate critique and then they find a um, really bad solution for it. (laughs) Yeah. And so that's where we're acknowledging the bad of like, what's this bad solution? Where where are the lies creeping in here? So that would be offer discernment. It's, you know, acknowledging the good and acknowledging the bad, finding the lies that are in there. 
The A stands for argue for a healthier approach. And that's where we're saying, okay, let's look at the, the good that we see, that the legitimate critique mm-hmm. that they have. How can we take that back to scripture and say there's a biblical way of addressing this legitimate critique? And so that way we can stand on the same side. We can have common ground with the people that we're debating. We're not debating the people that we're talking to and say, you know what? The Bible addresses this. And I think this might be a a way of addressing it. That's even better than the solution that the world is coming up with. Right. And then the final section would be R again, R-O-A-R. And that's reinforce through discussion, discipleship, and prayer. And this is where we give moms either little activities or uh, ideas for conversations to have with their kids and then Julie Lowe's, who's been a member of Moms in Prayer and leadership of Moms in Prayer for the last 10 years or so, has written theologically rich prayers that really go through each of the, the isms that we talk about in part two of the book and, and prays over, it gives you a way to pray over your children. We use the pause, the pause uh, method, which stands for praise, admit, worship through Thanksgiving. And we said supplication, but we're like, duh, why we should have said submit requests. So either one, it's the yeah. same idea. And so it's, it's bringing that spiritual aspect into it and fighting the spiritual battle in a spiritual way while still trying to understand the ideas. Yeah, man, it's so helpful. And I'm so glad you guys came up with that acronym. Is that the right word <laughs> for, yes, right word. for, for remembering that? Because I think it just walks us through something that some, you know, we can struggle with. And the reality is there's just a lot of people who don't have truth and, and are operating from, you know, a very secular worldview, one that is not informed by the Bible or God or, or, you know, just they don't, they don't know. And so they're spiritually blind. They don't, have eyes that can see the truth. And so it's like, we need to approach those people in grace and not, you know, and not tear them apart as a a person, but like, look at their ideas and the concepts that they're putting forth. And like you said, admit, I mean, that the most helpful thing is to admit, Hey, you know, there's actually, there's, there's some truth to what she's saying is a problem. For instance, We were talking a little bit about, you know, Rachel Hollis and self-helpism because I just recorded that interview before <laughs> this one. And the, the truth is that she's recognizing there is a problem and it's that we're not content. We're not happy. We, we feel not enough. We feel that something is lacking. And the problem is that the, the solution offered is within ourselves. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the solution offered is you must just try harder. And so, you know, it's helpful to identify because the world knows there's something wrong. The world knows there's a problem. People feel it intrinsically, even if they don't know how to verbalize it. They know something is off, but why do we, why does the news report on murders or shootings or, you know, death that is happening, war that's happening across the world? Why is that noteworthy? Because they know it's wrong because there's something, it's not supposed to be this way. Now they don't have a category for us to put that in because they're not going to say this is sin at its finest, you know, (laughs) or at its worst. They're not going to say that. Yeah. But the reality is that people do know and they do see and recognize brokenness because God has written his law upon the hearts of men, which is why we have a conscience. And it is helpful to, you know, not just kind of say, well, you're wrong and you're like, you know, you don't believe the Bible and you don't love Jesus. And, you know, but to actually, to which the person responds, Ooh, you're right. I want to become a Christian right now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. And it's, it's so hard. I mean, and like back to my high school experience, I took that worldviews class and I think I really, I was so kind of caught up in 
the truth versus the lie and the legalism of my own heart turned that into kind of a, let me kind of go and discern and judge other people, whether they're right or wrong and let them know about it. Mm. And I can tell you that did not serve me well, like (laughs) in high school or in college, when I was telling my drunk freshman roommates that they should know fake IDs are illegal. And why would they do this? You know? (laughs) So it's like, that is actually not the most helpful approach is to just call and point out all the things people are doing wrong, but rather to say, you know, like, there's a reason that you are thirsting for inclusion and to be accepted and to be wanted and to have friends. And that's not, that desire is not bad, but there's a better answer, you know? And so I just think it's really helpful to, to kind of remind ourselves as we are talking to our kids and, and talking to ourselves, even just about this. I think this book is just as helpful for me as a mom and, or just me as a human as it is for me as a mom. Yeah. And I'd like to just say, you know, just a little bit of grace on what you talked about. I've kind of noticed that there's developmental stages within Christianity just as much as there is. I mean, there's a reason why the analogy is that we are becoming born again. And I think that 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 phase that you're talking about is kind of like young children that are in the black and white phase. Yes. And it's like a lot of times I used to... I kind of have this theory that we're always judgmental on where we just came from. Mm -hmm. So like the person who's not a Christian becomes a Christian. Now they're judgmental on all the people who aren't Christians, but they're still doing all the bad stuff in their life. Now, now they decide to, Oh, I need to clean up my act a little bit. Now I'm super judgmental on all the people who claim to be Christians that are still doing all this stuff. And you just kind of keep going. But one of those stages is be judgmental on people. And when you get past that, you actually become judgmental on the people that are judgmental. Until you get to the point of where you realize, you know what, I went through every single one of these phases. And so yeah, I can have grace when I see people that are in that place in their journey, I can maybe try to lovingly correct them and lovingly kind of bring them out of that phase. But at the same time, I don't know, it's an unfortunate developmental phase, but it is a developmental phase. So there is there yeah. is something to be said to it. It's It's where you're learning how to have conviction, but then later you have to learn how to have that conviction with grace. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, that's true. It's a good point. <laughs> but I do like to just mention it because I, I know it's, it's, it's a place that we can get stuck and it. It's easy. Yes. It's easy to get stuck there for longer than you. I ever have intended. seen Christians get stuck in that stage and never pass beyond it. And it's, right. it's really discouraging and really damaging. Yeah. It's very everybody. damaging. Yes, absolutely. I mean, this, my husband works with atheists and basically he's having to kind of undo the damage that's been done by people who get stuck at that stage. Mm-hmm. It's like the great atheist maker. It really is. Right. Yeah. So it's true. Do you kind of like, do you see this as in any way, shape or form a political battle that you are trying to fight? I have tried my best to stay out of just politics in general. You know, I I think, you know, if Jesus were here and someone said, would he vote Republican or Democrat? And I'm like, I don't think he'd really vote either. I think they're both very, very flawed in their own special ways. Mm -hmm. Um, I think, you know, maybe one sided has better ideas than the other. But when it comes to, uh, you know, how would Jesus vote? It's like, uh, I think he would basically condemn everybody. (laughs) But uh, I I don't want to make something into a political battle, just because I think that people who are on different sides of the political spectrum, and I won't say everyone, I would say specifically Christians, 
that are on different sides of the political spectrum. I think they're both looking at different criteria that they're valuing higher. And I, I think that the Lord gives us spiritual gifts and he gives us certain parts, you know, kind of like we, we are part of the body. And as part of the body, if we want to go back to the literal body, we're going to have different functions. And so if one political party actually functions more in the way that the Lord has put on our hearts, then we're going to gravitate towards that political party. And so it's like, I I did my best to not make this political. I try to be kind of an equal opportunity critiquer (laughs) to point out the stuff that's bad on both sides. There are some things that have been turned into political things that shouldn't necessarily be political, but they're bad ideas. And so we need to address them. And I would say critical theory is one of them, which I wanted to get into uh, in the book. When I, when I did the Marxism chapter, I'm like, holy cow, we really need to talk about critical theory. Yes. But there just wasn't enough room in there to do that. So there are political things. Next book. You can do that. <laughs> yeah. There are political things that, that, uh, that we need to talk about, but I do my best to, to point out Jesus is not a Republican. America is not God's chosen people. Mm-hmm. You know, let, let's let's get rid of all that and just really specifically talk about the ideas and, yeah. and, and leave it at that. Yeah, that's helpful. So how do you approach the viewpoints of others that do conflict with your own? And kind of to what extent do you feel it's important to object to someone else's differing perspective versus maybe stay staying quiet? Yeah. Uh, I think it really depends on the person. I'll give you a couple examples of things that I've had. Number one, I was in uh, the airport coming back from the uh, you know ETS EPS conference. I think it was last November, so it was almost about a, not not quite a year ago. But um, I had these two guys on either side of me start talking with me, and one of them uh, was talking about God. He sounded pretty right on at first, and then he started going off into like you know la la land about aliens and all this stuff. And I just kind of listened and I, and I would ask questions. And I think that one of the things to do is, especially when it's someone you don't know, is asking questions to kind of clarify. There's, there's a phrase by Dennis Prager, the talk radio show host that I really, really love, that he says he prefers clarity over agreement. Mm. That a lot of the debates and a lot of the problems that we have going on is because people don't understand what the other person's saying. And so the more that we can clarify what someone's saying, a lot of times, kind of like you mentioned, we, t- we kind of lift the roof off of their off of their worldview and we just kind of ask, huh, so how does that work with blah, blah, blah? There was, there was a girl that I remember talking with on Facebook that was a friend of mine years ago that said that she had decided to go Buddhist. And she said something along the lines of that she didn't believe in anger anymore. And I said, and I responded to her, I said, what about child sex slavery? Does that make you angry? And she's like, well, I guess I would say... I'm disappointed. And I just responded with, no, I'm not disappointed. I'm angry. I really think there's things that we should be angry about. Right. And I don't know if that did anything, but it was, it was just kind of asking her to clarify and that. So, but back to the guy in the, in the airport, I I just kind of rolled with a lot of the stuff that he said and didn't start trying to critique it. And I was just kind of like this, "Hmm, that's interesting. Let me follow that up with a question. And as we were boarding the flight, the other guy that was on the other side of us, who was kind of listening to the conversation and interjecting out every now and then said, I just want to say, I have never seen someone have a conversation like that and just roll with what they were, (laughs) what the other person was saying like that. And he he kind of complimented me on saying, you were asking these questions and, and you never once lost your cool. You didn't get mad. You didn't get frustrated. He's like, I've never seen that before. Wow. 
So, I mean, that, that's one way to go. Yeah. Well, I think that's a great, and you know, that's a great example, just a visual for us to see that apologetics doesn't always look like talking at someone. Yes. It looks a lot like, like you said, I think primarily asking questions that lead someone to the fallacy of their own beliefs, of their own presuppositions. When they can and, have their own aha moment, it's going to yes. stick more than if you point it out to them. Right, exactly. Like, and it's like we do this with our husbands, for instance. You know, <laughs> you're as much as possible. I, I want to avoid getting to that place of being like, hey, when you say you've cleaned the kitchen, but you haven't wiped the counters down, it's not really clean. <laughs> you know, it's like, <laughs> let's just let. Hey, um, oh, did you clean the kitchen? Yeah. Oh, hmm. What happened over here? Why, why is there all this food here then? He's like, oh, well, I didn't walk the counters. Oh, hmm. Okay. Interesting. <laughs> you know, it's like, I'm not saying like we should always be snarky, but it's yeah. just like, if you can lead them to go, oh, you consider a clean kitchen to mean the counters. I didn't consider that was part of it for yeah. you. That's like, that's, that's a, an essential piece of the clean kitchen. Whereas for me, it, I don't, I don't assume that has to be done. Um, you know, I do the same thing with my kids. Like, Hey, do you think that's a kind way to speak? Well, no. Well, what would be kind? Well, if I said this, okay, say that, you know? So it's not to say there's never a time to say, no, you're dead wrong. There's never a place or a time, but most of the time, especially we're not talking about our husbands or our children. We're talking about people that we you know, don't have the authority to speak over them or maybe even into their life. And the most effective thing we can do is just ask them questions that yeah. lead them to those, those conclusions themselves. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that might be a husband thing. I've heard from so many women who say when their husbands clean the kitchen, they just completely ignore the, the countertops. That's kind of <laughs> what we, is with that. I don't know. We kind of divide that up. I'm fine with that in our house. Cause my husband does the dishes because yeah. he uses Dear Lord, he uses more dishes than any person I've ever seen in my life. And so he takes it onto himself to do the dishes, but uh, mm-hmm. he never cleans the countertop. And that's fine. I can clean the countertop. Not a big deal. Yeah. I know. And to be honest, I actually like, I like cleaning countertops because it feels very uh, completing for me and very <laughs> satisfying to me. But, you know, I'm just more like, really, you couldn't just go the last. I know that you're not going to do it as thoroughly as me, but you couldn't just go that last inch of the of the mile. So how can we teach our kids specifically to filter what they're, what they are taking in through a biblical perspective? Uh, The number one thing that I think we need to do in this week, we talk about this in the chew and spit chapter, the chapter three. In fact, this is kind of the definition of chew and spit is we need to teach them that there is no such thing as all safe or all dangerous. Hmm. And I think that that's how my generation, I don't know if you're, gen, like, I think you and I are about the same generation, but that's how, that's how we grew up is basically like, you're allowed to watch this. You're not allowed to watch yes. that. You can oh, listen right. to this. You can't. Totally. And so everything was, you know, safe or dangerous. Mm-hmm. And I was talking with someone who knew someone. She's like, you know what, you know, back when we were kids for something to be all safe, just meant that it didn't show explicit sex and there wasn't a lot of language. Yeah. <laughs> And so she knows some people who basically formed their entire worldview based around friends and Gilmore girls. Uh huh. Yeah. Oh, I've heard about, where did I hear about this? Did I hear you talking about this? I think probably so. did. I think I mentioned yeah. it on another podcast. Yeah. I can't remember who it was that told me this. Uh, oh, I think it was Amy. I think it was my podcast host, my new one. Okay. okay. And so like this, this idea of all safe and all dangerous basically teaches our kids that they can turn their brain off and go on autopilot as long as they categorize something correctly. Hmm. Yeah. That's a 
bad idea. Can I just say, mm-hmm. <laughs> just say that this is a bad idea? Hmm. Because if even though Gilmore Girls and Friends, they didn't show the sex going on, but good grief. I mean, how yeah. much casual sex went yeah, on in that right. show that they right. just joked about? Right. Yeah. So it's like teaching kids that basically you always have to have your brain on and, you, and it doesn't matter if you're listening to a sermon yeah. or if you're listening to music, there's got to be things that are biblical and things that aren't biblical. I remember several years ago, listening to a podcast that it wrecked me for a while. It like, first off, it just made me so mad. And then I was like upset. And I actually went to the church that I listened because it was like one that was in town, but I wasn't able to talk to the person because I was so angry about it. It was so anti-intellectual. They were using this thing saying that basically evidence is part of this world. Satan is the prince of this world. Therefore, evidence is Satan's territory. And the guy even said, he quoted scripture and said, what does the Bible say? Love the Lord your God with all your what? Heart. That's right. And he literally ended the verse right there. Oh, wow. So it's like this idea of... (laughs) that you can even listen to sermons and turn your brain off? No, no, no. Can't mm-hmm. do that. I mean, just look at Elisa's uh, testimony, Lisa Childers, yeah, one of yeah. mm-hmm. co-authors uh, that wrote on progressive Christianity and new spirituality, that she had a pastor basically undermine every single tenet of the Christian faith. Yeah, uh, We have Natasha Crane, who she and her husband are were self-proclaimed when we, they first got together, were very, very nominal Christians. When they had kids, they were like, well, kids should be raised in church. And they went to a church that really was more progressive. And even though she was very nominal, she was listening to what the pastor was saying. She's like, I don't think that's what the Bible says. Mm -hmm. So she was still able to discern, hmm, that doesn't sound quite right. So teaching kids to like really pick through every single message and and learning how to kind of summarize the message that they're hearing and then comparing it with scripture, saying, is this what scripture teaches? I think that is just one of the most important things that we do and realize that everything's going to be a mixture of both, which is the chew and spit method that you can take in everything, swallow what's good and spit out what's bad. And you can learn from all sorts of different things that you might not agree with 100%. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think that was definitely this the way I was brought up too. I, there was a lot of things that were off limits for me. I, I mean, one just funny one kind of is the little mermaid. I wasn't allowed to watch the little mermaid really? because Ariel had a rebellious attitude. <laughs> I love that movie. <laughs> oh, I wanted to be Ariel. Um, but you know, I mean, it's funny because like she definitely, she was, curious. She was definitely rebellious. Really? <laughs> well, I, uh, I guess there's also the issue of, you know, Ursula and her like very sleazy octopus, like body language. Like, yeah, that's pretty gross. It was a, yeah, that was a pretty sexual dance that she it was. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty gross. And yeah, I actually did try and watch that with my four-year-old sometime last year. And we ended up turning it off because I was like, I just don't, I don't think this is helpful. But I mean, and I'm not saying it's all, yeah, there, it, there, it's not all bad. It's not all good. I think that's the point is when we draw those hard lines, we might lose the opportunity to actually understand what it is that is happening in the culture to the degree that it can help us to speak the language. Because, you know, if we, if we try and enter into conversation and we don't know any of the stuff that people are talking about, like they're not going to take us seriously. That doesn't mean you go and immerse yourself in really terrible rap music and go read every (laughs) single book that, that, you know, I'm not saying you, you have to go watch all the movies to understand what the takeaway is, but just that, you know, I think there is that we, we are able to call out lies as lies better if we actually know what people are saying. And it's kind of yeah. the idea of going to the primary source of something and going, 
well, what, what is this person really saying? Yeah. So yeah, Which that's the recognize the message aspect. Yes, absolutely. What is really being said here. Right. I do want to touch real quick on the, the idea of education because I brought it up earlier that I was homeschooled and went to this private school. And um, I don't want to give anyone the idea that, that I or you are saying that's how you got to go about it. Mm-hmm. So one of the questions that I had was, is homeschooling the only option for protecting our kids from this culture? And does that even work? Number one, homeschooling now is very different than when I was a kid. I remember when I was a kid, the people that were homeschooled, and I apologize to anyone listening that's from my that's from my age range that uh, was homeschooled. There was some truth to the idea that they were kind of socially awkward, mm-hmm. and I think it's because homeschooling back then really was just homeschooling. You just stay at home yeah. and and do stuff, and and you socialize with adults but not with other kids. But nowadays, it's completely different with all the different co-ops. And what I've come to notice is the kids that are homeschooled are way more mature than the ones that are coming from the public schools. Yeah. And my husband even did a, an article for, I think it's the bestschools.org, talking about schools that actually prioritize kids that were homeschooled because they're finding that their test scores are higher, that they are more motivated, that they're more mature, all those things. So, but as we know, that is not an option for everyone. You know, if you're a single mom, you can't be like, well, I'm just not going to work in homeschool. You know, that sounds like a great idea. We have to recognize that that's, that's not for everyone. But what I would say, and this is something that I really can't emphasize enough. So if anybody here is doing something right now during this podcast, listening half-heartedly, stop what you're doing and listen to me right now, because this is really, really important. We are no longer raising our children in a Christian nation. Mm-hmm. We are officially in Babylon. That means that we cannot rely on culture to reinforce our Christian beliefs. Whatever you did as a kid is not enough. Whatever your parents did was not enough. We have to be purposefully living as if we are in enemy territory. And we need to be looking at the way that the Jews, how they were in exile, how they were able to maintain their identity and being separate from the world during their time in exile. And that means it cannot be business as usual. It means that we have to be so much more purposeful about our teaching, Mm -hmm. that it is so easy to think that we can just do the same things that we had as a kid. And it's going to, you know, they'll, they'll come back to Christ just like we did. That is not the case. And I cannot stress this enough. We are living in Babylon and we need to start acting like it. Yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. It's not, it's not, you're not offering a prescriptive answer of the, the way you must educate your children is X, but rather regardless of how you educate, here's, here's the reality of where you live and the time you live. And, and it is still upon us to raise our children in the ways of the Lord. And so we need to do that whether that happens inside their education and at home or completely outside of their formal education at home mm-hmm. it needs to be happening right i mean we yeah. as as parents we just we don't have the luxury of trusting that that ground is neutral whether that ground is um your public school or your local private school you you can't like you said your brain needs to always be on you can't yeah. just trust that whatever they're being fed is going to be from a biblical world, world view so as much as it depends on you, you need to be aware of that and supplementing, you know, what it, whatever they need to hear 
to understand the age that they live in and to know truth apart from the lies. Yeah, because we have been treated, we, for a long time, we've been the majority. And when you become the majority, you get lazy. Yes. And so I really think we could take a leaf out of the book. In fact, the World Religions series that Lindsay Madden-Walt has been doing with us on the Mama Bear page, one of the things that we have in each of those is what can we learn from this other religion? Like, what are they doing well? And one of the, I would like to point out three religions that are considered more of a minority that we need to take, we need to take a page out of their book. And that would be Judaism, Mormonism, and Islam. And what you see with those three religions is the amount of religious teaching that they do outside of school, far and beyond what Christians are doing. It's because we become lazy because we've been the majority and we thought the culture was going to reinforce this. Right. You look at Judaism and and how that, I mean, they have, you know, not only do they have regular school, they have, they sometimes have special school that they have to go to after school in order to learn about their religion. And they, the wards for Mormonism are very, very focused, not only on family, but on learning together and really making time for that in Islam, man, they are doing an amazing job really teaching their kids what Islam uh, what Islam teaches. Mm. And they don't say, oh, well, you know, they're, they're not worried about not having enough, you know, scaring off kids with too much information. They're saying, no, we are minority and we need to solidify what our beliefs are because we're living in a culture that's hostile to what we believe. And we as Christians need to realize that's us now. Yeah, that it is. And, and I don't think that is fear-mongering or, or casting things in a worse light than it than in is reality. I yeah, think that's a reality. That is reality. Yeah. And if you're living in a different reality, then just, you know, turn on the news or uh <laughs> I don't know. Like I, your kids go to college, you're gonna realize, wow, that wasn't that wasn't reality. <laughs> right. Man, well any final words of encouragement or admonition to the moms listening who are wanting to do this well and looking for kind of the next step. Obviously we want them to get your book. Mama Bear Apologetics. Do you have any other resources you'd recommend? I, uh, if you're looking for evidential stuff, I really think that to look at some of the basic questions, you know, does God exist? I can't, I can't remember if he deals with God, but I know like the resurrection and the chain of evidence for the, the New Testament. I really think Jay Warner Wallace's book, Cold Case Christianity, and he even has a cold case Christianity for kids um, mm. that I think is great. Natasha Crane, a good friend of mine, has a book called Talking With Your Kids About God. And it goes through, I don't know, like 30 different questions specifically about God, but it also talks about how to have these conversations with them. And uh, it, it kind of holds your hand and walks you through it. And so those would be some of more the evidential stuff. But I would say if you're really wary about you know feeling overwhelmed, I would definitely start with the Mama Bear Apologetics book because I think it's going to just kind of orient you to what we're doing and why it's important. And I would say like my number one thing for moms out there is if at any point you start getting overwhelmed with the Mama Bear book, skip to chapter 16 because we have each of the authors talking about like, okay, what do I do with this now? And it is just so full of grace mm. of like, you know what, if you're just getting started, congratulate yourself on just getting started. You're ma- you're, you're you're starting that journey. And if even if you don't do it perfectly, you know what? That's okay. It's like you need to start somewhere. And I think the Holy Spirit always keep the, that. That's always kind of one of my takeaways I like to say is just never exclude the Holy Spirit from the process. That prayer life during this is so important. And we try to reinforce that in the Mama Bear book by giving you prayers to pray over your children. 
there's practical ways to be reinforcing Christian truths with your kids. And then there's spiritual ways to be reinforcing. And we can't overlook the role of the Holy Spirit and the role of prayer. So, yeah. uh, which I think moms are actually really good with. So, mm-hmm. yeah, that's a great point. Hillary, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom. And I think there's a lot of practical information here that people are. I mean, it's just so, it's so refreshing to see the ideas that we are, we're hearing every day or seeing on t-shirts or on coffee cups, you know, the future is female, Um, (laughs) you know, all of these things. I'm not religious, I'm spiritual or, uh, or whatever, you know, don't, you're, you're wrong to tell me that I'm wrong. These are all chapter titles in the book that, Mm -hmm. that honestly address these ways of thinking, these ideologies and, and kind of pull them apart and reveal them for what they are. So I really am so glad you wrote the book um, and pulled this all together and made it happen because I think it's just a, a goldmine for for women and children and people, humans, anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much. Where can people connect with you and continue to learn more about apologetics and all that? You can visit our website. It's mamabearapologetics.com. And just so people don't get confused because I've gotten like a thousand and one different spellings of mama, mm-hmm. it's uh, M-A-M-A. So mamabearapologetics.com. And so there's a contact form there. Uh, we're on Facebook where I, I, I post, uh, you know, latest articles. We're on Twitter. I just started on Instagram because someone told me I needed to. And so kind of learning how to do that. I still don't understand the idea of stories, <laughs> but I'm, I'm learning. But uh, yeah, so connect, connect with us on all those. And oh, and just so you know, keep having people ask for, we need mama bear swag. So I've got like one of those little... Uh, custom ink fundraisers out right now that if you'd like a mama bear apologetics t-shirt it's going on for two weeks so go pick yourself up a t-shirt and proudly wear your your mama bear apologetics t-shirt awesome and then you have the audiobook coming out september 25th yes i am so excited about that that's amazing i'm a total audio learner so that's good news for me and all those other women who have more time to listen than actually sit down and read yep Well, thank you again. And uh, we will link all the resources you mentioned in the show notes. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening today, guys. I have read Mama Bear Apologetics, and I have to say it is a must read for any mom wanting to not only educate and train her kids, but who feels she herself could use a crash course in some of the modern and popular thinking and worldviews of today. This book is an amazing first step and will be invaluable to you as you help yourself and your kids recognize and fight the lies with truth. I'm going to be giving away a copy of Mama Bear Apologetics over on Instagram along with the airing of this episode. So go over to hayleywilliams.kindled on Instagram to enter to win. Next week, I'm going to be chatting with Scarlett Hiltabedal. Scarlett wrote two books, Afraid of All the Things, and He Numbered the Pores on My Face. As always, if you have 30 extra seconds, I would be so appreciative if you would show Kindled some love by leaving us an iTunes review, screenshotting this episode and sharing it on Instagram and or subscribing to the show. If you really love Kindled, you can do all three. Your support is the best and most sustainable way that this podcast is growing every week and reaching more women with the hope of the gospel and truth and encouragement that they need in their motherhood. So I just want to say thank you in advance for your involvement and support of the show. Have a great week and I will see you guys next Monday.